What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the 131 Podcast. Today is episode 31. We are joined by Alex Thomas, but before we get to Alex, let's check in with Eight Corner Briggs. Boys, how you doing? What's going on, man? How's uh, lovely Japan? We miss you over here. Uh, it's good, man. Getting out of here next week. This time next week, I'll be back in the United States, so happy about that. Briggs, what's up with you, man? Nice to see you, man. Safe travels for when you finally uh, come back to the U.S. We love, love to see you back home at some point soon, too. That would be awesome. But, uh, you know, I'm just excited to talk to our guests and talk some hockey. Yeah, man, let's get right into it. Today, we are joined by Alex Thomas. He does play-by-play for the Northern Cyclones, and he's also a broadcaster for the Northeastern women's hockey team, UMass Lowell, and also Holy Cross. Alex, how's it going, man? It's going good, guys. How about yourself? Doing well. Hockey, man. Missing hockey. Yeah, same. It feels really weird being in December now. And I think I've seen four or five hockey games this year. That's it with with juniors. And I mean, college hockey really hasn't gotten started. There's nothing going on in the NHL. I mean, hey, at least we get the ECHL in what? A week? Yeah, that's I mean, that's that's a start. We'll see what uh, something. Yeah. I might have to buy KHL TV here soon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's that's an all-time low. Imagine sitting on your couch at like three in the morning watching KHL hockey. Yeah, I'm gonna start drinking Russian <laughs> vodka. Dude, you uh, know that you know that Vladimir Putin has the highest points per game in that league. I'm not because they just let him score. Yeah, because they know if they touch him, he's dead. He's the most prolific gangster in the world. <laughs> but yeah, Alex, we're happy to have you on. I know. We've been trying to get you on for quite some time now. I know Acorns talked to you a long time ago, but we're glad to have you on and glad to talk some hockey. Yeah, um, so- same. I mean, it's great to finally, you know, have the schedule mesh up with, uh, unfortunately, no hockey to, to broadcast. But a Friday night off this time of year is kind of weird. Yeah. So before we get into the hockey news, let's just talk about um, your life and what hockey has meant to you. Uh, when did you get into the game? Did you Did you play the game growing up? You know, oddly enough, I never did play the game growing up. Um, my dad owns the local rink, so you would think, you know, being a hockey broadcaster and your dad uh, runs the local rink, I shouldn't say owns, but runs the local rink, you'd think he'd get on the ice. I never did, but um, hockey's always been huge. I mean, it's been the number one sport in my family. It's been the number one sport for me. It's the career path that I've gone on um, in terms of writing and broadcasting it. So it has a a huge, um, a huge spot. I mean when you go back to the summer and you've got the Oilers losing to Chicago and normally nobody around here would care about that. But when people text you about that, that's how, you know, hockey's a pretty big part of who you are as a person. So um, it plays a huge role and obviously it's the career path I've chosen. So I, I love the sport and I love being around it. Uh, even though I never played just being in the rink. Um, you know, one of my favorite things is walking around, Matthews arena before a, a Northeastern women's game and just seeing that pregame um, process for both teams and getting a chance to talk to coaches, talk to players, uh, just being around everything. I absolutely love it. Yeah. And speaking of Northeastern man, they, especially their program, they're getting so good. It is insane. The talent they have and what has come through the, like the last five to 10 years. I mean, my first season with, with the women was 2016, 17, and you know, they were a decent program. They had just lost Kendall coin um after going to the ncaa tournament for the first time and they were okay but they weren't bc they weren't bu they really weren't even providence at that point but 
I'll tell you, some of the talent that's come through that team, and I look at the roster and what they're going to put on the ice this year, um, and I, I really do believe, and I know they would never say this, but I believe it's really national championship or bust for that program, and it's really too bad that they never got a chance to play uh, the NCAA tournament last year against Princeton um, because I think that team was special. And when you add a player like Maureen Murphy, that's an elite program, and then you look at the men's side of it, um, the talent that they've pushed through to the NHL in the last couple of years and the recruits that they've been getting, uh, their beanpot success. I mean, it's become – like growing up, they were always – that afterthought in Boston right now, I, I think no pun intended. They're the top dog. Yeah, absolutely. It's awesome to see them take that step up because, you know, between BU, BC and Northeastern, you have three elite hockey powers in the country, you know, not only just the the area, but you know, and you know, if, if you don't work out with one team, like a BU or a BC, it's easy to transfer over to Northeastern and fi- maybe find a spot and really excel your uh, college career over there. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's really what happened with Kendall Coyne. I mean, not a ton of people know before she went to Northeastern, she was slated to go to Harvard. So, I mean, that's a pretty big change. Uh, Tori Sullivan was a, a good second, third liner for Northeastern for two seasons, came over from BC, and that's just on the women's side. I mean, it's it gives that opportunity, and I think, you know, credit to both Jim Madigan on the men's side and Dave Flint on the women's side for the programs that they've built uh, over there in, in Matthews Arena. I mean, it's it's exceptional. Yeah, I think that's fine. I think Matthews Arena is actually my first college hockey game I ever went to. I always we were always a BC family just because my mom was very close with people just working with the hospital down the street from Conti. But I believe my first game and I played, we played in between periods was my first time being at Matthews was my first time ever seeing a college hockey game. Uh, that's my favorite. I've been to, you know, I've been in the broadcast booth and AHL arenas and junior rinks all over the place and uh, college, there's no vantage point and there's no building that I like better than Matthews. And I'll be honest, I've like, I've done American league games and all that stuff, but my favorite game was the first women's NCAA tournament game that was played there going back to 2019 against Cornell. Um, When you have that building full especially on a Saturday afternoon on St. Patrick's day weekend, when you have that building full like that, it is just, it's electric. That, that is my favorite building to do games. in. That's awesome, dude. Alex, I got a question for you. So we already know how good the Canadians, uh, like the Canadian women's team are. Do you think that the United States, you know, besides their 2018 gold medal, like they are just as good, if not better? Like, do you see like Canadian, uh, like women coming to U.S. programs to play? Oh, I absolutely. I mean, um, you know, you look at the rosters and the depth charts now, even just in Hockey East. I mean, there's a ton of really good Canadian talent. Um, you know, I think it's a little bit different right now with the the border closures. It's been easier for those Canadian players to get down here and play at U.S. colleges than it would be for um, professionals. Like, you know, Hillary Knight plays a ton up in Montreal and did last year with the PWHBA, but she can't get up there. So she's playing down uh, in the U.S. this year. So I, I think a lot of those um, good Canadian players are going to come down and they have been coming down and playing it for the U.S. programs because it's just there's greater exposure in the NCAA um you know like for example Laura Schuler has been a coach for a couple of big time division one programs down here coached the Canadian national team uh back in 2018 um you know but I look at the American talent and I look at Northeastern alone I mean Erin Frankel's the goaltender I think she's the future of U.S. goaltending 
um, Skylar Fontaine to Rhode Island native. And it's just an outstanding puck moving defender that has seen some time with the national program. I think there's a fear up in Canada right now for how good the U S has been at developing players recently and looking at um, the next generation of young players that are coming up in the women's game and the opportunity that, you know, the NWHL has given that the PWHPA is given. I, I just think it's getting stronger in the United States. And I think they're honestly going to blow past Canada at some point here. I really do believe that, that, uh, that gate, that tournament they're supposed to have in Halifax was going to be unreal before COVID. That would have been fucking awesome. And I've, I've, Oh yeah. That, that was like, that was a weekend to go to Halifax. Yeah. I mean, I was, I remember when they canceled it, we were actually at the, um, I was at the hockey's championship. I just happened to have the day off and figured, you know, I've watched Northeastern's entire season. I may as well go, go watch this game. Uh, and I remember Frankel was on the roster and was sitting right in the area where the families were. And actually, so at the booth at Matthews arena, it's technically in the crowd. Um, you know, it's at, right at center ice on the second level and the parents sit directly to the right of us. So, I mean, we see the parents every game. We talk to the parents every game, um, you know, and those relationships are pretty cool. Uh, and I remember being there when, you know, Franco was going to be on the roster and they had canceled it during, I think this is like the first or second intermission of that game. Uh, and just the disappointment because so many of those Northeastern fans and families were going to go up there and support and how great that hockey was going to be, um, you know, and just not to not have that was, was unfortunate. Yeah, man, that's uh that was tough because I feel like the whole hockey world like isn't is is just getting boned right now. Um, speaking of which, let's start our transition into uh, news in the NHL. The NHL is looking for a January fifteenth start date. Now, I don't know if they're going to do an, a whole eighty-two game schedule. Do you think that they could fit eighty-two games in this year? No. So what I what I was reading was there's two proposals right now. I believe it's fifty-two games and 56 so which i think is a good idea um i think for the smaller market teams if there's no fans brian I, I was reading what brian berg said uh if they were to forfeit they'd only lose 15 million if they played the season with no fans they'd lose about 60 that's the only issue with small market teams in this league yeah i I saw the 52, 56 game proposals as well. And I think that's the only realistic option that we have kind of moving forward for this league. Um, when they did the 48 game season, I think it was during the lockout, that season was still, it wasn't lost at all. It was still an electric season. So I don't think we're losing too much here, but you know, between the fans and then, you know, we'll get into it, but the outdoor games possibly, and you know, TV, all that stuff, it, it could end up being a financial hit to a sport that let's face it is already pretty down low in the American ratings. Yeah, they, they can't afford, I know there had been talk about certain owners not wanting to play the season, but I think both sides know um, there's way too much at stake here. I think 56 is probably the number you're going to see um, because you know, you go and you look at the 18 divisions that are, there'll be three of them and they'll each be able to play each other eight times in a 56 game season. It'll be a little bit on balance to the Canadian division, um, but that's probably going to set up for <laughs> 10 Canadian Maple Leafs games, uh, 10 battles of Ontario, 10 battles of, of, um, Alberta. of Alberta. It's going to be a bloodbath up there this year. I'll tell you that, yeah. but yeah. like the 48 game season was one of the funner seasons that I remember watching. I mean, every game mattered. Um, yep. you were only playing in conference. So things were intense every single night. Now you go down to just playing your own division. Every game means that much more. I think it's going to be great hockey. 
it's unfortunate we're probably not going to see fans for the most part of it, but I think a 56 game season just played within the divisions is uh, going to be really, really entertaining. Yeah, hundred percent. Quick, uh, quick fact check. Do you guys know who uh, won the points race that lockout season? Blackhawks. Uh, no players. No, like it's Blackhawks player. or Penguins. I thought. No, no, it's a player who had the oh, most sorry. points, most points that season. I want to say it was either Kane or Panarin. Nope. Martin St. Louis. Oh yeah, wait. Oh, no. that's Panarin. Wow. Panarin wasn't in the league then. Fuck. <laughs> he came in when McDavid did shit. Was, no, um, the Hawks were nasty that year. I forgot St. Louis was still in the league then. Damn. Was he? Uh, was he? No, he was still Tampa, right? That year. Yeah, yep. he was still Tampa. Still yep. Tampa. They didn't even yep. make the playoffs that year. Damn. I know that pain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wait, yeah, Alex. So Acorn says that you're an Oilers fan, man. Yeah, diehard actually. <laughs> oh so no. Bad. Yeah, so that's. It's been fun for like three years out of the 15, but you know, <laughs> one draft night yeah. lottery was a blast. I remember watching that. One of my best friends in college is a Sabres fan. And I mean, I never thought for a second that they were going to win that lottery. And he had been from opening night of the season, McDavid, McDavid, McDavid. I'll be honest. Like I didn't want the Oilers to tank at that point. Cause I was so friggin' sick of it. Um, there was just like, just win as many games as possible. And when they won that lottery, that was uh that was a fun night that was a lot of fun yeah i remember that one that was that was uh that was a great night that and then i remember that was one night that was crazy and then the other night where uh the bu goalie put the puck in his own net that was the same year yeah that was the yeah frozen four yeah. o'connor that was that was still convinced, yeah still convinced yeah. he owes someone money because that was so <laughs> Yeah. blatant i mean it's like you can't really forget the puck is in your glove like that it's got a little <laughs> bit of weight to it yeah well then again if you guys watch that game i think there was like two minutes left three minutes left uh providence won an ozone draw was a tie-up the the, whoever the wing was the wing was picked that dude went right by him and ripped it dude the wing on that side picked the puck up dude it just went bar down dude it was so you know who took the face off right in the d sorry i think it was no 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 eichel was was on the took that draw oh Uh, he did yeah Oh my god. Yeah, there's there's a lot of rumors about that game. Um it was a fucking weird yeah. game. Yeah, there's a lot of rumors about that game, that team that year, but yeah. Yeah, I was a huge fan of I mean, I've always been a huge BU fan, and obviously Eichel there added that extra energy. So I was watching that game, you know, as if I was watching the Bruins. And when the goalie caught that puck and it ended up in the net, I was like, what is happening right now? And that was the tie of the game. And then obviously that draw win, that snipe, and all the energy was just deflated from BU after that. There was no way they were winning that game. I know it was yeah. pretty late too, but. And the thing with O'Connor too was like, he was still playing for an NHL. He wasn't drafting me. He was going to be he a went free to Ottawa, right? Yeah. He played I one mean, game. Yeah, and I I don't know where he played last year. He was in the ECHL last year. The wild part about that BU team is obviously he didn't go this route. He ended up going the OHL. But if he had went the NCAA route, they were going to have a one-two punch of McDavid and Michael. Like if he played NCAA hockey, it was BU. Um, that was something that he had decided on, but obviously ended up going the yeah. OHL route at the end of the day. One, yeah, wow. imagine that team. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't think or the or group was going to allow that to happen once he got the offer for exceptional status. Because that right, right that there, put that to bed, and that was it. But yeah, yeah. yeah. 
That was insane, dude. I remember they had it was like all about them at that World Junior tournament that year. Yeah. Oh yeah. And McDavid, I mean, the U.S. was just a bag of fucking pucks. Like they're just pylons in that tournament. And then McDavid and dude, that team was so good. They had like Domi, Duclair, Nurse, Nurse, like that Reinhardt. team was so good. Um, who else on the team? Yeah, there was a ton of players. McDavid was like, I think. I forget who his line mate was. I think Curtis Lazar was his line mate with the uh, small lefty. Um, uh, I'm drawing blanks here. Yeah. I don't want to. Uh, there's a story I'm not going to bring up because it's really sad, but that's the only reason I remember the kid. Yeah. Either way, like that team was stacked. Um, but speaking on the World Juniors, I know we're kind of getting off track, but Alex, what did, what's your take on the World Junior tournament this year? Um, I'm just hoping they get this thing off, to be honest with you. Um, with the situation up in Edmonton worsening in the public and um, with Canada dealing with some COVID concerns of their own. But when, if the tournament does happen, like I expect, I think Canada's a team to beat. That team is absolutely loaded. Um, Germany is going to be an interesting team to watch. I think. Cider. Cider. And and, um, the other dude, Stutzel, they're going to be nasty. And then uh, Sweden's pretty good too. With that kid, the Red Wings pick, they have a couple other kids coming up. Yeah, I am interested to see. I haven't seen much of Lucas Raymond, so I'll be interested to watch him. Um, and obviously, I'm going to pay attention to Sweden because I want to see what Philip Broberg looks like. I feel like I've watched one preseason game of him, and that's been it. Is Evan Bouchard, he, he's missed the cutoff yeah, for that team? Old. Okay. I was going to say, they they have... Oh, yeah, that's that's another thing, Alex. What What's your take on Bouchard and Broberg? Are they pieces to, to being traded, or do you think they're going to come up... <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Broberg's going anywhere. I, I think Ken Holland loves the guy. Um, and it's it's weird to me. Like, I, I think Oilers fans have been burnt so many times, especially with young defensemen, um, whether it's the mishandling of Justin Schultz or the just mind-boggling let's dump Jeff Petrie for whatever we can get um, debacle of, I think, 2014. So I think there's a little bit of hesitancy there. And, oh, how come Bouchard's here? He must suck if he's not up yet. Like, he probably is an NHL player. He's not here yet. I think Bouchard's going to be terrific. Um, you know, talking to some media people in the Western Con- in the Pacific Division, I should say, of the AHL, not affiliated with Bakersfield, um, they were really impressed with him last year. His puck moving ability, they thought, uh, from having seen him in the playoffs in 2018, uh, rather in 2019, to what he was this past season, even from the start of the season to the second half, he's an NHL defenseman. I think he's going to play um more than half the season up in the nhl this year mostly because i don't think adam larson's back is is going to hold up but i think they're both building blocks i think they're both going to be long-term uh defensemen for the oilers and again like i don't think larson's back's going to hold up i don't think you're going to see cleft bomb again um so those two are going to they're building blocks and they're going to have to be building blocks greatest trade ever adam yeah, larson with taylor hall a lot. straight up oh, i still can't believe that happened oh. Jeez, <laughs> that, that was that was a wild thirty minutes at work. That's uh, that trend. That trend gets brought up probably what every three or four episodes, if not less. Maybe <laughs> one tweet, or two. The tweet, the trade is one for one. Just because he had to clarify, like everyone was like, "Wait, what else is going?" The trade because I thought it. Yeah, people were like, "Oh, that's pretty ballsy of like Arizona to deal OEL." Nope, it's Adam. <laughs> well, I had thought too when they did it, like they were gonna get. I think there was a rumor at the time as it was happening. And obviously, you know, you can't believe half the stuff you read on Twitter, but um, that it was going to be Larson and 
another defenseman. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, Larson and, and you know, hell, Damon Severson hasn't established himself going back to 2016 or whatever it was. Like, great. You know what? I, I don't love it, but I can get by by that with that. No, just uh, just Larson was a wild trade. And it's too bad because I think Larson's a good player, um, but he hasn't been the same since that first year with, you know, first he loses his father and then he goes through the back issues and he just hasn't been that guy since the 16, 17 season. Yeah, he was great that first year. He was that solid shutdown D and huge part why they made the playoffs that year. Oh, he and Clefbaum were outstanding. And it's just unfortunate that neither could stay on the ice, but they were terrific that year. Boys, we see that there's three players in the NHL, top top talent players that are high draft picks that are not going to be going to the uh, World Juniors this year. And one in particular, right off the bat, Alexis Lafreniere, MVP of the tournament last year, is not going. You guys agree with this? I don't. I don't think he should play. I know he's not playing right now, but if I'm New York, I don't want him getting any hurt. I don't want him getting hurt, but I don't. If the season's not going to start yet depending on when the season starts, I would have let him play in all honesty. It's like, it's kind of the same thing with like guys, you know, the, how they had that world cup of hockey tournament in 2016, like all those guys played prior to the season. So if I think I, I get it, he's like their prized like possession right now. I would have let him play though. Alex, what are you thinking? I think that's a great sign. If you want the NHL to be back, I, I think that would indicate that these teams expect to be in training camp. Um, close to, if not during the entirety of the tournament. So that, that's good news. I would have loved to have seen the, um, I would have loved to have seen him play for team Canada. I would love to get another look at him, um, before he goes to the NHL. But to me, that indicates that the Rangers are expecting uh, to be in some sort of camp, uh, and don't want to risk that. And with everything going on right now, it's tough to blame them. Would love to watch them, but I think in the end, that's the right move. So hypothetically, right, if they do say January 15th is the set start date, will Chicago pull Doc out of the tournament to come back? Oh, I think they would, yeah. He's too big of a piece for them, Um, especially the way he played in the postseason. He was just – he was outstanding, Um, unfortunately. He was great, Uh, and I think he's a huge part of that team moving forward. And for the Blackhawks, they've already pissed off Cannon Tays enough and Seabrook and those guys. You know, God forbid you let Kirby Doc go when he gets hurt, or you know he's he's not himself when he comes back. You can't take that risk. So if this, you know, if they know they're going to be in training camp, let's say January second is the date camps open, which I think there's, you know, if it's the fifteenth, it's probably going to be a January second camp start. Um, he'll be out of there pretty quickly, I think. Yeah, that just clicked in my head. I was like, oh fuck, Doc's on the Canada team. There's no way they're letting him stay. No, and the U.S. might run into that problem with Robertson, too, with, with the Maple Leafs, because he's going to be on their roster this yeah. year. So um, they may lose a pretty big part of the American forward group, too, if, uh, if the NHL is going to start camps on January 2nd. wonder, would Caulfield have any, be in any shape to – I know he's at Wisconsin, but say, like, something happens with college hockey and they stop playing, right? And that's the case. He goes to World Juniors and the Canadians open up, do you think the Canadians might pull him? I don't because I I think they want him to finish off the season with Wisconsin. And I I think their trade for Josh Anderson and signing Tyler Toffoli uh, indicates that they don't think he's quite ready yet. Um, You know, I, and again, you don't have the American league and 
I don't know if you're going to have the American League this season. You know, there's there's going to be some conversations that are going to be popping up here in the next week or two about uh, the viability of teams playing without fans as that really becomes reality. Uh, and I think we'll have a better idea of what the AHL is going to look like uh, as we approach Christmas. So with that uncertainty, I don't think the Canadians want him sitting in the press box because everything I've heard is they don't think he's quite ready yet. Uh, to make that jump. So I, I don't think they would pull him out. I think they would, they're going to let this season play out with him and evaluate if he has a good tournament here and a good year for Wisconsin, they'll evaluate if he's going to be signed to an NHL deal um, sometime in the spring. Yeah, that makes sense. And then we also have uh, Hughes. Hughes isn't going to the Americans, um, which makes, if I'm the devils, I mean, he didn't go last year. Why would he go this year? Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I actually thought the Devils rushed him last year, and I know it's difficult to not put the number one pick in, but I just don't think he was quite ready yet. Uh, I think he's going to have a hell of a career. But, um, you know, right now I don't see – because, again, we talk about Kirby Doc. They played in the playoffs. They had that July camp. They had two rounds of the postseason. Jack uh, Hughes hasn't played since what? March. March. Yeah. So I I think I would have let him go um, because, again, these guys haven't played since March. At best, they're going to have an extra week, and it's going to be optional uh, for training camp. But that's not set in stone anymore. So I would have let uh, Hughes go. I really, I they haven't played since March. He's too big of a piece to have start slow if that Devil seems going to be anything this year. I would have let him get going. I agree with you on Doc. They're definitely going to pull him because, like, he's like, I was I was on another show talking about this and the whole like breakup letter with like the Hawks and stuff. Like this team literally just went from like they just made like really good like strides this off season and even if like not this off season but this playoff but i think like if the season now if they do that extended playoff again like the 24 teams that chicago could be in it again if uh they i just think they're weak on goaltender i just i think that's a big hole for their game yeah 100 i'm curious to see what seabrook has left in his game after the hip surgery this past year i'm curious if he can make any impact do the guys kind of falling apart and he's making a ton of money yeah 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 he did not look anything near even before the injuries what he used to be Corey crawford's a huge loss for them they have nobody proven in that net and you know with i don't know what exactly their division is going to look like but you know if you get put in there with teams like columbus and pittsburgh um, yeah. I think, I think St. Louis was going to be yeah. in there. I'd have to relook Nashville teams that can put the puck in the net. Yeah, I don't love their odds. I, I think they could be in for a really long year, um, with their goaltending situation. And if that's the case, when do you start to to think, okay, what kind of value do Kane and Taze have? Yeah. And the thing going to come to that point eventually. I think you'll see Bowman go before or whoever's that yeah, Bowman's the GM. I think he's kind of fucked. He's made a couple bad moves now to the point where he should be on the hot seat. Yeah, I, I think they got way too cute after they got knocked out in 2017. And I think you go back to the Brandon Saad trade um, where they give up Artemi Panarin because they want to be tougher to play against. Well, I mean, that's like the that, – that's a less famous version of Hall for Larson so we can sign Lucic. Like, that, that just doesn't work. Sod's a much better player than Lucic, so it, it looks better. But how the hell do you lose a Brandon Sod trade three times? Like don't I, I, I don't have I an like answer Sam for Bowman, you. But I like Bowman, but what the hell, man? Jesus. Yeah. I went on another show to talk Hawks uh, hockey, and I think that Taze 
he i don't think he'll move i think kane is a likely kane's got more value to move yeah and i think I, I was looking at an article like you know potential landing spots for kane i definitely think buffalo is one of them because he's from buffalo well buffalo has a good year and in taylor hall walks like i expect yeah. Yeah. um and to be honest with you i i'm i'll just throw this out there i think if this if COVID doesn't happen I think Taylor Hall signs back in Edmonton and I think it's on a, a multi-year deal. Um, and if you look at the Oilers cap situation next year, now this was going back to the day of the Milan Lucic James Neal trade. One of the things that I was told directly um, that day was that, you know, keep an eye on their cap space for next summer because there's a certain player that's going to be a free agent, um, you know, who the team likes wants to bring back and he wants to come back and, you look at the free agent list and the only former Oiler that, you know, that would make sense on would be Taylor Hall. So it's easy to put two and two together. And I know they really pursued him in November. And I, I know yeah. the original game plan was to get something uh, done with him this summer. So if he does leave and Buffalo takes a step forward, I think Patrick Kane makes a lot of sense for them next offseason. Yeah. And you slot Hall right with, you know, who his best friend, one of his best friends. Oh yeah. You, you don't think twice about that, but again, I mean, We'll see what happens with that. Who knows what the economics are going to look like a year from now. Yeah, 100%. But, uh, that would be a crazy, crazy turn of events for sure. I just want to jump back real quick to what we talked about. Um, you mentioned the AHL. And then we kind of got into goaltending and whatnot. Last week, there was a situation with the Denver Broncos where one of their quarterbacks got COVID. I'm not sure how this necessarily happened, but their whole quarterback room got COVID. I think there was like four guys. They ended up having a gadget receiver as their quarterback running the wildcat. Imagine that happens to one of these NHL teams and two goalies get COVID and there's no AHL to pull up from. So there, there's going to have to be some crazy practice squad stuff going on here. Every team's going to have to carry at least three goalies. I don't know the logistics of like how close they're going to need to be to each other to spread the spread of the virus purposes. Probably going to need to have at least six uh, players ready to go too. So it's it'll be an interesting uh, turn of events. And, you know, the, the bright side would be that those practice squad guys are at least getting ice time, but they're not going to get any game situations in the case unless there's a case of COVID or someone getting hurt. Yeah, that makes total sense because they're they're going to have to expand rosters to a certain X amount of skaters, X amount of goaltenders, right? Just in case with how – because it like regardless, right, if say they play the 56, they're going to be playing a lot of back-to-backs. If the way it seems like the schedule is going to be like structured, it'll be a lot of back-to-backs, and it seems like there might be threes and four, three games and four nights, right? So that's where two goalies definitely come into play because you have to keep goalies fresh as much as you can. Yeah, the, the NBA released their first half schedule today, and I think that's going to be a template that the NHL looks at. And, you know, for example, you have the Celtics will play back-to-back nights in Indiana. And then three days later, they'll play yeah. you know, back-to-back nights in Chicago or something like that. So I think the, the NHL is going to look at playing. And this is something that dates pre-pandemic. Uh, Jonathan Taze had actually brought up to limit the travel a baseball-style schedule for the yeah. NHL. Uh, And I think they're going to test drive that here. So I wouldn't be surprised if you play, I don't know, let's say Tuesday, Wednesday, the Bruins are in Buffalo, and then Friday, Saturday, or Saturday, Sunday, they're at home against the Rangers. I wouldn't be surprised if you see that kind of schedule um, this season for the NHL. So, yeah, you're going to have a compressed schedule. 
Um, but here's another thing to consider with the rosters. Like, they expanded the rosters for the playoffs because there was no AHL. But you were going into a bubble, so there wasn't a huge COVID concern there. Now you have guys. I mean, look what happened has happened in the NFL. Look what happened in MLB. There was no guarantee the AHL is playing. I mean, you know, for example, you know, the Bruins could have their guys in Providence, like the Red Sox had them in uh, Rhode Island. But you have to quarantine now. So there's going to be all kinds of rules. And, like, the Canadian teams who have their AHL affiliates in the United States, it's going to be a complete cluster. So I wouldn't be surprised if the rosters are really expanded this year. And if they give uh, teams, especially the Canadian teams, almost like an alternate training site kind of deal where they have a complete practice team that's there and they can make recalls through that. And, you know, for example, if you're Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, you're not sending guys to Bakersfield, Stockton. Exactly. That California league will fuck them. Yeah. That whole California league. Yeah. And that's one of the concerns that the AHL has right now. I can tell you that that's a real concern uh, for the league. It's attendance and it's what the hell are we going to do with the Canadian teams? Yeah, and the border's not opening anytime soon. Yeah. So that's tough. It just, like, I think it's going to be kind of cool seeing, it, like, potential the Canadian, all-Canadian division is for just one year. It's just, like, something different. But, they, like, how do you guys feel about these, like, I'm transitioning over here, but to the those outdoor, like, proposals? Would you think they're, like, do you think this could work? So... I haven't really dug deep into it. If any, if either any of you know, like what is so good about playing outdoors that would make fans. it different fans. Pretty much. Right? Cause yeah, that's, that's where they'll get it. money. They'll get money because they're not going to get money playing indoors is the, um, is I think the concept here, because I think with, you can socially distance outdoors. You can, it's cut. I mean, that's, I think that's the idea. I know there's been four – there was rumors there was four teams, and then Pierre Lebrun came out and said it was Boston, uh, Boston, Carolina, Dallas, L.A. Kings, the Predators, and the Penguins were all teams that were, like, interested in this proposal. I thought I heard the Anaheim Ducks somewhere, but I, it's, it wasn't mentioned in that article either, but I thought I read that somewhere else too. Yeah, the Ducks are in there, but it sounds like it's more of a joint venture with the Kings that okay. they would consider doing. Um but, like, if you're the Kings and the Ducks and if you're the Bruins, you're doing this to get fans in the stands. But do we really think that state and local governments are going to allow that? Texas, they just had thir- they just had 30,000 people for a Thanksgiving Day football game. If the Stars want to play at, at Jerry World, then go ahead. They're going to be able to have people there. They're going to make money. I don't see Massachusetts or California allowing that. And at that point, it's a waste of time. You may as well stay at the Garden. You may as well stay at Staples Center. Now, if that changes, great. But if you're the Bruins, let's say that changes in March. I mean, you're going to go through that kind of trouble to have three games with social, four games with socially distanced fans before the Red Sox come back. I, I don't think Fenway makes a lot of sense to them. Gillette's too far out of the city. It'd be, I mean, it's a pain in the ass to get there on a Sunday. You can imagine on like a Friday night after work. Um, what are you going to play? Harvard Stadium? I think that'd be wicked cool, but they would never do it. So, yeah, I just don't see it working for teams like the Bruins, teams like the Kings, the Ducks. Hell, even the Penguins, like, they've taken away having fans in Pennsylvania. That's why the Flyers said, no, it doesn't even, it's not worth it. I think you'll see this a lot in the South, but I I don't think you'll see it as much uh, in the North, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm surprised, like, Florida or Tampa didn't even, I mean, that's tough. It's, it would be extreme. It's going to be extremely tough to, 
with to like keep that maintained. But those are two teams I think that should have even just threw a hat in the ring as like we could do it. Like Tampa's got a great following where like the Florida Panthers do not. I I, I was told on Tampa, and I'm not sure how accurate this is, but I had heard that with the Super Bowl being down there logistically, ah, that makes it, sense. It wouldn't be an easy fit for them. Um, and I have heard Florida's interested, but they have no idea where the hell they would put it. So, like, what are we doing here? Maybe this, the Marlins this, Stadium, which is indoors. This might yeah. be a stupid question, and I know they've done it before, but how do the outdoor games work in places like Florida and California? Do you just wait for uh, a cooler day? I mean, I know no one's allowed to do anything in California without a mask unless you're Gavin Newsom, but, you know, how would these outdoor games work? I mean, they've done what Dodger stadium and um, Levi's and it, it went off well, but it's been, I don't know, six, seven years. So I don't remember the, the logistics they, of it, but the mm-hmm. cost of maintenance for that. Holy fuck. Like the, it's crazy. Like even when they do the games and like when they did them in Chicago, cause they've done too, way too many outdoor games there, <laughs> Pittsburgh, <laughs> Boston. Like when you watch those HBO behind the scenes, you have teams, literally there all day watering down making sure every like the pressure is fine like the ice like the ice temperature is okay so like trying to maintain that over like a specific like a long period of time that's the only i think that's a huge issue and that's so much money to make sure that you have so like so many so much staff there obviously masked up masked up and like keeping everything to like a t so that teams can actually skate on the ice I have one hypothetical thing I just want to bring up. Imagine imagine the Bruins doing the outdoor games and say like season ticket holders was like still a thing and they were doing that baseball style schedule. Imagine freezing your ass off for three hours back to back to back at Gillette. I love hockey as much as the next guy, but I don't think I could do that. I'd have to be <laughs> shit faced. You can barely see I don't see think I could stay. Ice. Yeah, I, I don't think I could stay like in that sweet spot of drunk and that cold for seven hours like i know no. I, I, uh, that's a that's a skill yeah i just wanted to bring up though uh, i know earlier we were talking about canadian uh divisions i know we're jumping around here but a uh, little hockey history it's the anniversary of when patrick waugh uh, his last day is a last game is a Canadian and eleven to one loss to Detroit. He told the Molson family to go fuck themselves. <laughs> That's say what you want. The Canadians haven't been the Canadians since then. And what happened with Colorado? They end up getting him. They get Bork. That team gets fucking insane with what Forsberg, Foot, Sackick, Bork. What did I say? Bork twice. Whoopsies. Wah. Ah, that t- that was a nasty team, and that Cup team was sick. And they had, I think Hayduk was even on that team too. Did they have oh, Tongay? Yeah. I think they had Tongay. Yeah, they did. A- Alex Tongay, yep. That's a I think step. Rob Rob Blake was there for a little while. Remember yep. that one yep. year they went out and they just said, fuck it, we're going to get Paul Korea and Timu Solani too? <laughs> Hayduk? You guys say Hayduk? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, dude. Oh, sorry. Oh, I love him. I don't know why, but I always had a thing for him. Number 23. I'd love a Hayduk jersey. Oh, dude, Patrick Waugh, man. I remember his first game as a coach. Remember? He was fucking slamming the, the, yeah, the Bruce Boudreau. <laughs> he pulled the goalie with like 10 minutes left. Kind of oh, yeah. Fun. That's like the – yeah, that's when that really all started. Yeah, and he kind of initiated that. His kid in junior for the Ramparts was fucking crazy. I think he was like, – I think he's an actor now, but I remember like 
this is when I like didn't really know much about the CHL. I remember seeing him coaching the Remparts and his kid, and his kid was just being a piece of shit out in the ice in the queue. That like you don't see that often. Yeah, no, not at all. Yeah, I, I never, I, I, the Patrick Waugh coaching tenure, oh. um, when he quit with what two weeks before training camp prior to the 16 17 season, it was like, yeah, that that really spoiled the whole experience and uh, really put poor Jared Bednar in a real shitty situation. Um, but nice that he was able to bounce back from that year and now has the Avalanche at something more than respectable i mean they're they're nasty at this point but i put them top three in the west them and vegas yeah i think those are your top two teams out west um and then i I don't really know who's a third i guess the blues but yeah um, i'm I'm a little down on them um after after their playoff showing i I will say this about patrick wah as a coach if the canadians come out slow this year with all this hype I wonder if that like that seems to be an inevitable one day it's going to happen kind of thing because they're so friggin' limited in who they could bring in as a coach because yeah. you have to be bilingual. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> so I, like I wonder about him. You, one coach, I, I don't know why, but I I remember he coached the Canadian World Junior team and he's been in the junior ranks, but he he was always someone I thought might be the next coach for the Habs was Benoit Grew. That's someone I would keep in mind for the oh, Habs. Where is he now? He's, I think he's with the Gatineau Olympics. He is. Um, yeah, he's no, he left there actually. Oh wow, yeah, he's the head coach of the Syracuse Crunch. So that's and they're so what go. Tampa? They're Tampa's. Yeah. yeah. So I, I wouldn't. He might be in the, up there. Uh, Pierre Maguire. Pierre Maguire will probably be in. You know, he was he lost to Mark Bergevin for that GM job in Montreal and. Pierre lost to Jimmy Rutherford in Pittsburgh, and he uh, he said he wanted nothing to do with the Arizona Coyotes. Well, <laughs> I I've heard that, but I think he I think he may have interviewed there. I've heard from a few people that he may have have talked yeah. to them. That guy. Um, but hey, good luck to to um Bill Armstrong. You know, his uh his kid, former to- junior Bruin. Yeah, he's got some shit. He's about four to six years away from getting out of this. Yeah, not, imagine walking into work on your second day and having a deal with the whole draft situation. And OEL. You have OEL once out, and then the draft pick yeah. with, with that whole story. is like, oh, my God, could it be more of a disaster there? Yeah. Their reverse retros are sick, though, so there's that. Yeah. <laughs> Yotes are a wagon. <laughs> okay, Piz. <laughs> I'm uh, just kidding. Sp- uh, speaking of... Uh, Reverse retros, my favorite Minnesota Wild. Um, Kaprizov, he's coming over and skating with the Wild now, which is huge because there was concerns he wasn't going to be able to come over to the to the states. So that's a huge thing for the Wild. I mean, I have him slated as winning the um, the Rookie of the Year, but I think this kid's legit. I I he I don't think he's uh, Nail Yakupov there, Eric. God, I hope he's not Neil Yakupov. I hope for Alex's sake he's not Neil Yakupov either. <laughs> I don't think, and I don't think he's Nikita Gusev either. Oh man, the hype around that dude, the hype train yeah. literally fell off its wheels. Yeah, once um, he got shelved. I will say though that the the wild reverse retro jersey looks like Subway, Subway, uh, <laughs> the Subway logo. 
Um, well, you got that, and then if you go look at the Canucks logo, and then go look at a Sprite can, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I agree. I think Kapril Kaprizov is going to be nasty. Um, I remember we were talking about this a long time ago. If they were able to get Lafreniere in that sweepstakes, that that would have just like their projection for rebuild would have been so much. Yeah. yeah. They, have that, they have that kid Boldy too coming out of BC. Hopefully this kid's legit. They took him like in the top 15 in this past draft or yeah. the draft last year. Yeah. I like him a lot. Actually. I thought that was a steal for them when they got him. Yeah. I thought um, he was going to go in the top five. He ended up going nine. Yeah. I think Billy Garen's done a really good job so far with his deals with those GMs. I mean, getting um, Fia- that Fiala trade has, been a blessing in disguise yeah i i I like what billy garen's done i'm with you yeah yeah the man i think uh they need to fix their situation goaltender i don't know what's going on with devin dubnik because he didn't play in the uh qualifiers they were running with staylock i don't know what's going on with them they they shouldn't have they shouldn't have been there (laughs) i mean they just signed someone uh they just signed someone i think and then garen told yeah, them they um the starter yeah they're 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 going with camp talbot this year okay that's who it is yeah 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 because <laughs> doug wilson god bless him I, I think his his um i think his brain's starting to go out there in san jose yep. he's gonna roll with a martin jones devin dubnik uh duo in goal this year and then they lose joe thornton who you know whatever at this stage but yeah no the wild ended up going with um with Talbot, I actually like that a lot. I think Talbot rebounded really nicely after the poor ending in Edmonton with Calgary last year. Um, but like, I think the Wild are going to be good. Like, I'm looking yeah. at their roster right now. You know, Talbot's their new starter in there. They got Nick Bukestad for absolutely nothing. Nick Benino for for Luke Cunning, who I'm not a huge fan of. Yeah. Um, Marcus Johansson, Kaprasov's coming over, as you guys mentioned. Um, yeah. They're, they're going to be good. Yeah, and um, what's it called? I'm pretty sure Bukes that he was Mister he was Mister Minnesota when he was in high school. So, yeah, yeah it's him going home would be different, but that'd be cool. Um, and yeah, they have prospects coming. Uh, I mean, I hope Suter and Parise can be somewhat like be able to be serviceable. Like I'm hoping Parise puts up 35 to 40 points. Uh, Brodine's still there. Spurgeon's nasty on the point. Dumba, you still have. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the other dude, um, I'm the left-handed shot that I I love. Oh, um, Brodine. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that defense is loaded. I wonder if they if they move one of those guys out next offseason before the um expansion draft to try and get yeah. some sort of weapon up front to go with with that good defensive group. Um, sorry, uh, this is off. Speaking of the expansion draft, do you see? Does anyone here see Tyler Johnson getting moved? for just to get him out of Tampa to get money up off the board because he's going to get taken. Seattle's going to take him regardless. What's his current situation? Is he still, he's he's still making five or some, I think he's making, did he, did he get put on waivers? Yeah. He cleared waivers. waivers. Yeah. He's still making over 5 million. So, I mean, that's Sergeyev signings basically said, fuck you to everyone in the league. That's a steal and a half. How do you not like if you're another GM, just throw the bomb already. Just drop the offer sheet. They couldn't match the thing. Yeah, and yeah. now you do it to Sorelli. Really tie them up. Yeah, and that's it, one situation where they should have just 
they should have just sent the offer sheet. Like the Aho one last year was laughable because the money was there. That Tampa didn't have the money. Yeah, that was fucking stupid. I, I really didn't understand that last year with Aho. They they laugh right in their face, like, of course we're gonna sign this. Yeah. Um, what was I gonna say about Tampa with with Serge? Oh, Tyler Johnson. Uh, I wonder if his market opens up after Mike Hoffman signs, which I think is going to happen shortly after the uh, details of the next season are established. I think you're going to see Mike Hoffman sign and then a mini free agent frenzy with some of these guys who are still out there. Um, like, yeah. I don't know if you're a team like Nashville, maybe you and you lose out on Hoffman. Maybe you go and take on that Johnson contract. Plus let's say a, uh, a draft pick or a prospect or something, the bail Tampa Bay out. Okay. Where do you see Mike Hoffman going? I think the predators have had the most interest in him. Uh, since the start of free agency, I think right now the most likely landing spot for Hoffman, and I'm you know I'm, I'm not gonna bet on it, but I think Vancouver and Hoffman is a really good fit. Um, I think the Bruins are in there, and I think Nashville's in there too. I think those are probably the big three teams. But you know, remember Florida lost out on Dadnov too, and I think Florida wants to put a more competitive product out there. So maybe they circle back to him. He's had success there before, um, yeah. and he's probably looking at a one-year deal anyways. So we'll see, but. For Vancouver, they've got to get Louis Erickson off the books if they're going to make that happen. And I don't think that's happening. So, I think he played last season. <laughs> he played the playoffs, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, yeah, Alex, I think uh, last last week we talked about the Mike Hoffman uh, situation. We all kind of agreed it's either Boston or Nashville. Um, but that's interesting that you say Vancouver because, oh, my God, like they're already good. Like, another sniper on their top six. Oh my God. That team would just be really hard to contain. Yeah. And they added Nate Schmidt too. Remember? I mean, I know they lost Jacob Markstrom and that's going to be a tough loss for them. I'm not as big on Thatcher Demko as a lot of people, but yeah, they get Hoffman. That's dangerous. Yeah. And they saw the kid DPHR coming up too, who was like a stud coming at junior. So he's, I think he could give Demko a push for that behind Holpe role, but who we'll see. But, yeah, I mean, they lost – I think they're going to miss Tyler Toffoli. That was a big loss for them. Yeah, yeah, that is going to be a tough one. And I, I think they're going to really regret the um, the Brayton Holby contract. I, I think he is is done. Um, you know, I'm glad that Holby grew up hating the Oilers because they offered him more money than Vancouver did. So, it, it you know, they dodged a bullet there. But uh, I think that's not a great signing for them. Losing Tanev is going to sting a little bit. Nate Schmidt, great addition. Be interesting to see how he um, meshes in there. But, yeah, losing Jacob Markstrom and, and losing Tyler Toffoli is, is a big hit uh, to that team. That You know, we talk about how they look great against Minnesota and beat the Blues. and all. There's no COVID. They're not making the playoffs last year. So, I think their expectation is a little bit higher this year than it should be, especially considering what they lost. So I got a quick question for you, Alex. Um, it seems like you're pretty well-spoken just from talking to you on the pod, but, you know, these play-by-play, play-by-play is a tough job. Play-by-play for hockey is pretty much impossible, I'd say. I know I couldn't do it. I mess up on this thing, and we record it and edit it. You know <laughs> what I mean? So does that take a ton of practice? Do you have to, you know, go over roster sheets before the game? What goes into all of that? So usually, and see if I have one down here, um not at my desk but i have one over here so usually i'm gonna go grab it but usually i have uh 
a folder. So let me go grab that. <laughs> Somehow the first two folders that I grabbed had no line charts in them. So that would have been useless. But uh, <laughs> so usually I'll show up with something like this where it'll be the line charts for both teams uh, on either side. And then you know, I'll draft up my notes and everything. I'll put it on the front. Uh, and then game notes I'll put in the back is just, you know, former, um, you know, like prior meetings. Here's the upcoming schedule against each other. Uh, they played in the playoffs last year. I'll put stuff on there. And then I've got enough room down here where I'll, you know, draw in observations and all that fun stuff. But uh, I'll tell you, it's especially at the USPHL level, it is interesting because not every team keeps stats online um they've done got much better than that since the ncdc came in and you know sometimes a team will make a move and you know it's it's not always publicized and you'll come in and be like well who the hell is this guy um so that's a lot of fun but it, it's funny because like i've done junior bruins games and i can look at a, a kid's equipment at certain points and be like oh okay i know who that is and now i'm yeah. starting to get to that point with the cyclones and um, with Northeastern women too, it's like you have four years to know who these girls are. So it's like you, know, you get to to know their tendencies and you can just tell from that, especially in hockey East where, you know, you're doing three or four games a year uh, for the opponents. So you kind of get to know their tendencies and stuff. Um, the start of the year is less fun because you're trying to figure all that stuff up, but it's pretty not easy, but it, it kind of just comes as a second nature uh, later on in the season for sure. Like, it's funny. I can do hockey and have no problems at all. But then I go to basketball, which I think is an easier sport to broadcast. And I'm like lost with the pace change and all that stuff. So I've done basketball and hockey in the same day. And it's like, it's so different, the styles. Um, but, you know, I've grew up, I've grew up in hockey and done hockey games since 2010. So, um, oh, wow. yeah, that's, I mean, it, that's awesome. At this point, it's like 10 years. If I can't do it now after 10 years, I mean, you know yeah alex you got another question what would you say to anybody who wants to get into commentating or play-by-play uh what kind of what kind of route would they take to get to a job like yours oh uh, i think it's it, you know one of the big things is to always take opportunity like i've done uh, my first year at northeastern they asked me to hey you know we have nobody to do color for this field hockey game sunday never watched a field hockey game in my life um, so I don't know what the hell's going on, but I took, you know, I started the night before <laughs> took the gig. And next thing I know, I'm primarily doing their women's hockey games. Cause you know, I stepped up and, um, show that you can do the job. And so I would always take every opportunity given to you. I would never say no. Um, you never know who you're going to meet at a particular game. Uh, you never know who's watching. You never know what opportunity will arise from that. Um, you know, I did it part time. I graduated in 2016. I did it on the side. It worked at a metal distribution warehouse until last February when I started with the Cyclones about three weeks before COVID hit. So uh, always take every job that's offered if you know you can. Um, and always remember, you know, I go back to some of the scouts in Springfield when I interned for the Falcons in 2015, 16, some of those scouts who you brush up against and talk to and shake hands with, and you see on a nightly basis, some of those guys go on to become assistant general managers. Some of those guys go on to, be in the hiring role so you always want to you know you don't want to burn any bridges um it's all about who it's all about who you know it's all about getting the reps it's all about taking every opportunity um you know and at that point there's a little bit of luck involved in it too yeah that's interesting you bring up the management point because 
I mean, I don't think a lot of people realize the homework that goes into that. I mean, you just showed us this elaborate yes. folder and it, it doesn't just come from online. It also has your notes on it and your particulars. You know, you talk about looking at a person's equipment, being able to realize who they are. I had a, you know, just from playing goalie, I would know which way everyone shot or like the color of their helmet, little things like that. But, you know, we like to, you know, give Jack Edwards shit because of the way he, you know, handles himself. But that's a hard job to have. And to have that much tenacity while you're doing it, that can't be easy. And then you see Doc Emmerich's little sheets where he has 50 different ways to say the word pass. I mean, it's it's really an interesting gig. Yeah, and one of the things, too, that the USPHL, I mean, the teams have been um, – have had a lot of continuity behind the bench. So, I mean, again, I started in the 16-17 season doing those games. We're in 2020-21 right now, and it's – you know, you know these coaches. So, the coaches you become friendly with, and they're willing to tell you things that, you know, a fill-in guy or a first-year guy they wouldn't say to. Um, and obviously, you can't say everything on the air, but you can – word things in, in different ways and kind of hint at stuff. And there's, you know, things you can pay attention to differently. Um, you know, you might have a, a, you know, you might get a heads up that, Hey, you know, this change may be coming or, you know, we see this with this guy. Um, so, you know, as you build those relationships too, it really adds to it, which is one of the things that's been great with the USPHL. All the coaches are, are outstanding. They're great guys to talk to. Um, they're always willing to talk hockey with you. They're always willing to help you out and, and give you, um, you know, advice on what their teams are going to do, tips on what their teams are going to do, all that stuff. So um, there's a lot more that goes into it than I think I, I ever realized. Uh, and the relationships that you build help make you better at the job. They really do. I mean, half the stuff I say on the air, if I wasn't friendly with the coaches and didn't talk to them, I mean, I wouldn't have that information and it fills a lot of time. Yep. Makes total sense. Alex, I got another question for you. So hockey players will will model our game after players we like to watch or we'll model, you know, our stick tape jobs after our favorite players. Is there any commentator in particular that you model your style of voice for or are you just an original work? You just it comes naturally. I mean, I definitely have my own my own style, my own brand, but I think there's four broadcasters, three of them I I we'll watch and pick stuff on. And the fourth one uh, I interned for in Springfield in 15, 16 is, is Andy Zilch. And he is the play-by-play uh, -play guy over the San Diego goals, the ducks affiliate out in California right now. And um, you know, he's been a mentor in, in a friend, a great mentor and friend really uh, since I interned for him over five years ago. Now, um, you know, he's really helped me progress as a broadcaster throughout my career. Uh, that relationship has made me even in the time that I've known him a much better and much more confident broadcaster than I was even in 2015. Um, so, you know, he's a guy that I, I really take his opinion seriously. And, um, you know, he's helped me immensely, you know, with, with getting opportunities for interviews, for, you know, for just helping my overall style and all that. Um, but the three guys I really watch are, uh, you know, it's interesting. Doc's always a guy that you pay attention to, but he's actually not on my list. For me, it's it's John Forsland. My dad was a Whalers fan when I was growing up, so that voice was the first one that I really heard in the house, and I've followed him ever since. Uh, and then Chris Cuthbert and Gordon Miller are actually the other two guys. Yes. that because I mean, as an Oilers fan growing up, like I watched a lot of TSN, a lot of CBC when you buy the package, so you hear those guys' voices, and and those are two guys that I take stuff from, and and I love listening to, and um, those are probably the three guys that 
you know, if you listen close enough and you know that, you'll be able to hear their influence um, when I call a game. I mean, the oh, Gord Miller, I just associate Gord Miller with the World Juniors, and Forslund is awesome. I think Forslund would be the guy to take to replace Doc. Yeah, it's either it's either going to be him or, or Kenny Albert, I would imagine. All right, Alex, I, I got one more thing for you. I was wondering if you could, for our listeners, do a quick play-by-play on a two-on-one and they score. All right, let me – Um, I need names. So, I'm going <laughs> to go into this game. I got uh, Bridgewater and the Cyclone. This is from Halloween Day. Bridgewater Bandits. Yep, the uh, formerly known as the Boston Bandits. So they have got – let me pick the easiest two names here. <laughs> <laughs> That's one thing, too, just to get sidetracked uh, for a quick second. Sometimes you'll ask a coach, like, hey, how do you pronounce this guy's name? And they'll have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I've gone into games where I, I'm looking at – I mean, these are pretty, pretty easy names on this list, but – like, I'll go into a game, you'll have some some kid who's just coming over from Europe, and nobody knows how to say the poor kid's name. And then at 3 in the morning, you get a direct message on Twitter. No, this is how you pronounce it. Most <laughs> of the parents are good about it, and most of them are helpful. But um, <laughs> I, we've had some interesting ones. I had a guy storm into the press box once doing a high school football game. That's the story <laughs> for a different day. All right. Um, we'll go with the Cyclones. This is at an actual goal. From this game. So take a second here to reset. Take your time. Bandits lose the puck out in the neutral zones. Collected by Danny Woods, 22 in red. Woods spins back at center, plays it up ahead for the captain. Ben Peterson carries it into the offensive zone. Peterson pulls up along the near wall, sends it across. Ott shoots. He scores. Riley Ott, the Alaska native, picks up his first goal of the season. And his first goal is a cyclone. It's two to one. That's fucking yeah. awesome. That was cool, Bravo. dude. <laughs> you're a, troop, was, you're a trooper fun. for doing can that. You, can that? That's got to be like the like the clip we cut uh, for the the video or like the upload. Yeah, Eric's the radio show host where he's like gets a comedian on. He's like, do a bit for us. Make <laughs> me laugh. Well, it's funny. I've, I've never done that on the spot before. So it's usually you know you have the game right in front of you, but. Um, that's the first time I've had to do it on the spot. So it took me a second there. <laughs> that was fucking did well. awesome. Yeah. I appreciate it. Get this man a contract with EA Sports. Get that guy <laughs> off of NHL but that's 20. Why, yeah. <laughs> Seriously. He, well, he'll, have a little, he'll have a little bit higher pitch or more, more pizzazz <laughs> when McDavid or Dreisaitl have the puck. Turns into a homer. Yo, absolutely. Are you kidding me? Um, but that's like, that. that's the one thing. Um, you know, instead of EA Sports, maybe when ESPN gets the contract back next uh, next Ooh. summer, I am convinced it's going to be a split contract. Get Gary um, Thorne back, please. Oh, it's funny. I, I was at a Red Sox game um, and just happened to see, like, you can look up into the booth and just happen to see him up there. I was like, this is just wrong. This is this is not right. <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing here? It's September. The Orioles have lost 105 games. Like, <laughs> This is, this is the wrong building. <laughs> oh, this is, dude, this is a good episode. Yeah, yeah, this is a lot of fun. Yeah, man. Uh, we'll, we'll wrap this up here. Alex Thomas, man, can't thank you for coming on, talking hockey, talking a little bit about your job. Um, it was a blast having you on. Uh, for all our listeners who are uh, listening right now, 
uh, where can they find you on social media? So I am on Twitter uh, at Alex underscore Thomas 14. That's pretty much where all my stuff will go. Um, there's women's hockey coverage there. There'll be Bruins and Oilers coverage picking up here as things pick up. Um, and hopefully soon there'll be some Northeastern women's hockey stuff and Cyclone stuff up there as we get back into games. Um, tentatively looking in the next week or two. So we'll see what happens with that. But that's that's the best place to find me. Perfect. Awesome, man. We can't, we can't thank you enough for coming on. This is a lot of fun. Oh, it's been a blast. I really appreciate it, guys. All right, man. Support this man. Go give this man a follow. Thank you. It was awesome talking.